thank you, Father, for worship that always comes from the Scripture, comes from your Word, and then you add a tune to it, Holy Spirit, and it, it sinks even, even deeper into our hearts and minds. We're thankful, Father. Bless you, mighty God, for a song and a passage that blesses us so much and encourages us. You're with us. You won't let go, and you won't let these circumstances overwhelm us or take us from you. Hallelujah. Praise you, Father. God, we want to stay in your presence. Stay really near. Uh, we can feel your presence. Something about worship together, even if we're in separate places. Maybe even by ourselves. But God, we know that there's a whole bunch more brothers and sisters in Christ right now that have just worshipped with us. So Lord, we want to have some time for prayer and intercession to lift things up to you, to lift people up to you. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, stay close and listen now to your children as we pray. God, we're really glad to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and Israel. And one of the things about this uh, COVID situation, Father, is we tend to spend a lot more time just thinking about ourselves and our own safety and our own health. Help us, Father, to, to break out past that and to still uh, be interested and concerned about uh, people all around the world, like in Jerusalem and Israel. They're battling with the, the virus as well. Um, we know that the enemies around them, uh, we've, I've heard some uh, intelligence that some of their enemies are considering attacks on Israel uh, due to the COVID having our attention and their attention on other things. So, Father, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, uh, the greatest peace that more and more Jews would come to know Jesus as their Savior, their Messiah too. We lift up the whole world, Father, leaders around the world and the COVID situation. Uh, God, the whole world, we're so interconnected now. Our economies are connected. Uh, internet connects us all around the world. Uh, that's a major blessing, but it's also connected us to each other so strongly that when one nation or three or four or ten suffer, it has impacts in other nations too. So God, we pray your mercy and your grace, and we thank you for your strength in time of need. We lift up our own nation, mighty God. Father, this morning we're praying for awakening across the nation of the United States. Uh, we're coming to the end of ourselves. We're realizing that government can't fix everything. Uh, we can't snap our fingers and have millions of masks on hand or ventilators. or We can't snap our fingers and have a cure, a vaccine at our doorsteps tomorrow. We're, we're realizing the, the end of ourselves and our resources. God, in that, we pray that the gospel would go forth and that... Um, Tons and tons, I don't have a number to put on it, that millions of Americans would turn from sin, turn from depending on themselves and others, and would discover that the Lord Jesus Christ is who we need to save us and keep us and guide us through this time. Thank you, Father. God, we pray for uh, local, and well, na national too, but our local folks, for doctors and nurses and support staff uh, in the health care industry nursing homes, and all their workers and staff, uh, food pantry workers, God. They've stepped up, too, in a big way, and they're almost all, well, around here, they're all volunteers. Uh, the schools, Father, the folks that are feeding kids still, daycare workers, uh, our agricultural workers, and the food chain, God, that's, that's all fragile. We just, um, just knew that it all worked like clockwork before. It's not anymore, and we're struggling. So, God, we pray your mercy and your help to all those folks. Lord, 
Um, a lot of folks are losing their income. A lot of livestock producers are having to euthanize their livestock and don't have a place for um, that, that good food to go. It, it's a troubling time, Lord, in so many ways. We ask your help with our food chain, Father. And God, we're going to lift up now those that are on our hearts this morning, uh, intercessors' burdens, joys and praises that we have, too, for answers to prayer and, and the joys in life. God, to hear us now, we're going to name some folks to you in situations in our hearts, and we thank you for answering these prayers. Father, we pray your special blessing on Thelma, Betty, and her daughter Lois is going to have um, bone marrow transplant at the end of the month for Wes and Irene, for Wayne and James' brother-in-law, Dick, thank you, Jesus, for Megan and the baby, getting pretty close to time for baby to come, for Catherine, having her baby in the hospital right now this morning, blessings on her and that little one, thank you, Jesus. God, now we gladly give all these folks and situations into your hand. And we just declare what Scripture makes clear, God. You yourself said it through the, the author. God, you're able to do far beyond everything we just asked for. So show your might and your strength and your faithfulness once again. Bless you, Father, and we thank you in advance. So now, God, we're going to lift up the prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples. And it's a powerful prayer, Lord Jesus. Thanks for giving it to us. It asks, God, that your kingdom would be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Well, in heaven, your will is done immediately and gladly and humbly. So, Father, as we pray this, uh, we take this to heart for ourselves. Help us to grow in immediate, glad, and humble obedience to your will. Thank you, Lord. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Normally we'd have some sharing God's activity time. Well, <laughs> we're going to get back to that, folks. It's coming. Praise the Lord. We're going to have our offering time right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing hymn number 98, a golden, wonderful oldie, Great is Thy Faithfulness. So it's number 98 if you've got a hymnal with you at home. Great is Thy Faithfulness. And then it's during this time that we normally we'd be receiving the offering in the congregation. So when that hymn is done, we'll have our offering prayer. Okay, 98.
We're working on the sound issue, folks. Hang in there with us. And uh, I'm going to do this now so I don't forget later, okay? <laughs> um, we do have the podcasts uh, that are available on our website. So go to delfreechurch.org and then this hover over the sermons tab. It gives you three options there, if I remember right. And one of those is podcasts. And the podcasts have flawless sound. <laughs> so uh, we're still working on things out here in the country. Life is challenging and wonderful. So thanks for your patience with all those, those issues. You can open your Bibles and go in there for our sermon time. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13 today. We've been kind of on and off preaching through the book of Acts, and sometimes we've had to pause, you know, like for a Holy Week and Easter and things like that. We're back to Acts now. And so I want to open with this uh, portion of a psalm. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, Lord. You're our rock, our crucified, risen, uh, ascended, and reigning redeemer. And you're coming back again. So help us now to hear, receive, respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. color on the camera changes. Okay, I'll wait. So when I see the camera color change, I'll just jump into it. It looks like it's working on it. Okay. So wisdom and discernment is so much needed in this time, and I know that we're all aware of that. Uh, even with daily life, we're exercising or asking for wisdom and discernment more than ever before with COVID on the scene. As a congregation, we need wisdom and discernment for myself and for our elders and our councilmen as we look at when and how to return to face-to-face -face worship. We're going to take a look at possibly uh, parking lot worship. There's some challenges with that, but it would be a step towards at least getting back together face-to-face uh, -to -face in a sense be a step back to worship in the sanctuary. So we need to listen to the word of God regarding the fellowship of believers and how important and vital that is in the scriptures, trusting in God's sovereignty and not following fear. We also need to consider our protections and freedoms under the Constitution in uh, this nation. God has given us tremendous blessing. Our founding fathers laid it down for us. Many lives have been given uh, through over 200 years, obviously, many lives have been given in protection to those freedoms. And uh, many of those freedoms that are expressly protected are the freedom of religion and to worship and peaceably assemble. So that's in the mix. At the same time, we're sifting through the changing circumstances with this virus and being wise and careful with potential infections, loving each other and our neighbors well, so that's all in the mix. Now, the Bible part doesn't change. The Constitution part doesn't change, though how we approach it seems to. Um, but then uh, the COVID thing itself is the big outlier in that. 
So thanks, thanks for praying. We're praying for you too in daily life, wisdom and discernment. Thanks for praying for the leadership of the congregation as we chart our way through uh, completely brand new uncharted waters. Appreciate that. Well, we're going to go deep with Paul and Barnabas in, the, in Acts chapter 13 this morning as they share the good news of a risen Savior named Jesus in a community setting where the reception is decidedly mixed, okay? Paul and Barnabas are going to need wisdom and discernment themselves in how to handle a volatile situation. The Word of God did a powerful work 2,000 years ago, and it's going to do so again today. So go with me to Acts chapter 13. Picking it up at verse 13. So chapter 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. We talked about that last week. Whew, that set in motion a whole bunch of interesting um, developments in John and Paul's relationship. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Now, this was Paul's pattern all through his ministry. And it was commanded and designed by God to go to the synagogues, to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. Now, there's no reason to take offense at that. It makes, it makes sense, perfect sense in God's design for getting the word out. Why go to the synagogue? Whenever you come into a new town, they've never heard about Jesus as Messiah. Why go to the synagogue first? Well, they're in the synagogue, they're reading from the prophets and the law in the Old Testament, and they are the folks who have uh, over a thousand years of God's preparation for the Messiah. Jesus was a Jew. Uh, salvation comes from the Jews. So we bring this brand new message of Jesus as Messiah. He came, he accomplished it, the cross, what it's all about. We come to the Jews first because they are the, by far the best prepared to receive the good news, understand it, believe and take it to heart, and then become evangelists for the Lord. Um, after we've come to the synagogue, and then we can go on to the Gentiles, okay? So he goes in, uh, Paul and Barnabas go into Antioch. They go into the Sabbath day in the synagogue and sit down. Verse 15. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, you might be kind of, I was curious, well, how come strangers walk in the door on a Sabbath day in the synagogue in Antioch, and then the gentleman that's in charge of uh, the congregation says, hey, you strangers who are visiting us today, why don't you go ahead and speak if you got something to say? You go, what? We would not normally do that in our church services in America today, right? It's possible, we don't know this from the text, but it's possible that Paul was still wearing something. Did he cut out? Okay, so it's possible that Paul was wearing something uh, on his clothing that revealed that he was a Pharisee. And he would, why, well, if I had that kind of stuff that I can announce that I was a good Jew and a Pharisee as well, and I was coming into a synagogue in a, in a new town, I'd wear something that let folks know that I was one of them. And so if he's a Pharisee, the leader's like, hey, wh what do you have for us? What do you have to share? Verse 16, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. So Paul includes everybody in that greeting. Men of Israel, he's talking to people born, born Jews, Israelites. Men who fear God, 
he's uh, including any, any Gentiles who are uh, pursuing God and the knowledge of him and come to the synagogue to learn about the true God. Verse 17. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. With uplifted arm, he led them out of it. For about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Verse 19. After destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, God gave them their land as an inheritance. Folks, I just want to stop and say that inheritance is forever. And so, yes, Israel has a right to the land there because God gave it to them as an eternal inheritance. Verse 20. All this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when God had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom God testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Isn't that powerful? Um, God declared that David was a man after his own heart, uh, who will do all my will. Does that mean David was perfect? Far from it, but he was a man after God's own heart. We can desire that for ourselves today. Verse 23. Of this man, David, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Now, why would he mention this to the Jews in the synagogue? Because they know God's prophetic promise to David that one of his descendants would be the Messiah. So Paul's just uh, connecting the dots for him. He says, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Verse 24, before his coming, John the Baptist had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, it's interesting. He references John as if the congregation should, should know him full well. And it, it's, it's probable. John's ministry was so impactful and went on for quite a time. So it's very probable that the folks even here in Antioch knew about John's ministry. Verse 25, he says, As John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, meaning the Messiah. No, but behold, after me one is coming. One is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So John says, You think I'm big stuff? The one, there's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to be his lowliest servant. Talking about Jesus, of course. Verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God. So again, he includes everybody in the room. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Jesus nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled those prophecies by condemning him. Now, we need to dig in this for a little bit. This is a sobering word. Paul says, you know, you know we, just, we just read from the scriptures, didn't we? You, your leaders here read as they should. They read from the law, and then they read from the prophets. And Paul says, uh, we've been reading from the law and the prophets for hundreds and hundreds of years. And people right there in Jerusalem, even at the highest levels of leadership in, in Israel, they've been reading these uh, prophecies and these scriptures about the Messiah, and they didn't get it. They didn't understand them. 
They didn't recognize the Messiah. And so they basically accidentally fulfilled the prophecies by condemning Jesus to death. Caiaphas and those folks, they didn't do it on purpose to fulfill the, the prophecies. They didn't understand that Jesus was Messiah. They rejected his claims. And they put him to death and so fulfilled the prophecies, even though they knew them full well themselves. So why do I dig into this quite a bit? I just want to share with you. You can come to church every Sunday morning your whole life or come to church in your home online your whole life. You can listen to the Bible, listen to it read and preached on your whole life. And I know this is sobering, but you can miss it. You can, you can fail to understand and grasp who Jesus is and what he's done for you. So I'm, I'm so glad you're tuning in right now. And maybe this is the moment. Holy Spirit, lift the veil from our minds, from our eyes. Help us to see Jesus, see the cross, understand who you are and what you did for us, and believe unto salvation. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So Paul says, now, if you're sitting there in the audience <laughs> and you're a good Jew, are you getting a little squirmy right now? You're getting a little uncomfortable? Paul just called out the leadership, the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem and said they missed it and they blew it and they condemned the Messiah. Verse 28. Paul continues, and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they, still talking about the chief priests and the leadership, Pharisees, Sadducees, all of them, he says, they asked Pilate to have Jesus executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, where was it written? In the scriptures. They took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Now, this might be the first many, maybe everybody in that place had heard of this. Paul is bringing revelation. God raised this Messiah, Jesus, that the church leadership killed, murdered on a cross. God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. So he says, tell you what, it's real. It's a fact. It happened. In fact, people who have visited with the risen Jesus they're witnesses, and they're now going out through the world and telling everybody about salvation in Jesus' name. Verse 32, he gives it uh, directly. He says, We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers through the prophets over thousands of years, that this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. So now he's presenting to Jews, right? What's he going to do? He's going to quote from their scriptures. So Psalm 2, you are my son. God speaking to Jesus, his son. In a psalm, David wrote it, so it'd be what, a thousand years before Christ? God saying, you are my son, Jesus, today I have begotten you. And they knew before Paul shared this, the Jews all knew that that was a prophetic psalm about the Messiah. So he's making that connection for them. Verse 34, and as for the fact, if you've got your own Bibles, circle that. Now, that's not fake news. That's not our modern-day trashing of that word. And, and your facts can be different from my facts, but they're still facts. No, they can't. There's truth and there's error. There's truth and there's not truth. There's lies. There, there aren't multiple kinds of truth that say different things about each other. 
So he says here, clearly, as for the fact that he raised Jesus from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. And this is from Isaiah 55. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Again, the descendant of David is going to be holy and sure, going to be the Messiah. Verse 35 says, therefore, he also says in another psalm, this is Psalm 16. God says, you will not, you will not let your holy ones see corruption, meaning um, when the Messiah dies, you're not going to let his body go to decay and rot in the tomb like is normal. He's not normal. He's going to be raised up with a new resurrection body. He's going to be the first one who ever gets that resurrection body. And, and that makes him uh, the, the holy one and so many other things. So he, he quotes three different Old Testament passages. They were all passages that the Jews believed and had been taught, had uh, Messiah connections. And Paul says they're all talking about Jesus. See how they talk about him um, not staying dead? That's the reference to Jesus. Verse 36. He says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, meaning he died, and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Did David rise from the grave? No. His bones wasted away, his flesh wasted away as normal. Verse 37. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus of Nazareth, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed or justified from everything from which you could not be freed or justified by the law of Moses. Whew. Now, you're a good Jew sitting here in synagogue where you ought to be on the Sabbath day. The vast majority of them, maybe every single one of them probably, is believing that by keeping the law of Moses, they are right with God. Paul says, no, you're not. The only way you can be justified before a holy God is through believing in Jesus, the Messiah, who went to the cross and died in Jerusalem because our religious leaders put him there. But God showed that they were wrong, and he raised him back to life to show that he's the one. He's my son. He's the one. I'm not going to let his flesh see decay. You must believe in Jesus of Nazareth, my son. He's the only way you can be justified before me, not by keeping the law. This sermon would have rocked the minds and the hearts of everybody in that room to rock them. Verse 40, he says, Beware, therefore, beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. He's going to quote from the Old Testament again. This is from Habakkuk chapter 1, where Habakkuk the prophet wrote, Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. This is another passage that the rabbis had been teaching, referenced the time of the Messiah, and that uh, they needed to be careful, that people would scoff at the Messiah, would refuse to believe in him, 
and would therefore perish. And so Paul quotes this one too. And what's he say to this crowd? He says, watch out, beware that you aren't among the scoffers that Habakkuk mentioned hundreds of years ago. He's laying down the laying down the gauntlet, if you want to put it that way. He's laying all the cards on the table. We could use a million analogies, right? He's placed the truth cleanly, boldly, completely before them. It's a wonderful thing, right? They've been given Jesus and the opportunity to believe and be saved. Now, the alternative has also been presented to them. Receive him or don't, your choice. But he is the Messiah. Promised in the scriptures, he's the only one. Is Paul going to flesh out what this means, this opportunity? Yes, he is. Verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Doesn't your heart just leap? And you go, wow, wow. Paul was bold. He laid this out. It was truth. It had to set him upside down. But what's, what's um, among, among many of the reactions, the people are begging to hear more. Hallelujah. They were hungry for it. They, they heard the truth. They received the truth. They were hungry for more of this truth. Messiah has finally come. Really, truly? He, God raised him from the dead? Tell us more. Verse 43. And it says, uh, these things might be told. They want the next Sabbath to, to hear more from Paul. Verse 43. After the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism, so Gentiles too, many of them followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. I wonder how long that conversation went on. Paul would not run from a conversation. We know sometimes he preached clear through the night, right? As long as people were willing to keep their eyes open, he'd preach. So he, but he urges them to continue in the grace of God. Why the grace of God? Because he says, again, you can't keep the law perfectly and earn your way into God's holy presence. You can't. You must receive Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross. The grace of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God. You must continue in the grace of God. Don't return to trying to earn your way in because you can't. This is powerful stuff. So verse 44 a week later, I wish we knew what was going on during that whole week. Goodness, <laughs> um, no, no detail at all from Luke. He's like, eh, you know, seven days later, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Can you say revival? The place is upside down. People are buzzing. Obviously, the people who heard Paul in the synagogue that first Sabbath, that Saturday, they were telling everybody all week long about what he said, what they heard how their hearts were stirred. So they invite everybody into the sun. The place is packed and beyond packed, I'm sure. Verse 45. But when the Jews, and that the word there refers to the leadership in the synagogue. When the Jews saw the crowds, now who's, who's in the crowds? There might be a few Jews in the crowds, but the vast majority of the crowds are made up of whom? Jews or Gentiles vast majority are Gentiles. And so the religious leaders see the place exploding with Gentiles who aren't there to um, see or hear their wisdom. They're there to hear Paul and Barnabas. So they were filled with jealousy. Uh-oh. 
began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. They didn't just tuck their tails and run. So when the religious leaders told them to knock it off, to be quiet, to, to leave, in that situation, so they needed wisdom and discernment, right? God, what do we do in this situation? I'm not sure they even had to ask because they'd been through stuff like this before back in Jerusalem. They knew what to do. When religious leaders were telling them to be, to be silent and stop sharing the gospel message, they said, no way. They spoke boldly. Now, you've got to pay attention to what Paul says here. This, he's so direct. Truth cuts like a knife. Sometimes we often need it to cut like a knife. He's going to do some cutting here. So Paul, verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Salvation comes from the Jews. You were the folks who have been reading the scriptures. You should have been ready to receive Jesus. So we had to come first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. We don't hear this kind of direct stuff much, do we? And what is Paul saying here? He's, he's really clear. He says, I have presented the good news to you, the message of God, that salvation is in his son Jesus alone. He says, by thrusting that message aside, putting aside the Messiah, putting aside whom God has provided for you to be saved, you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Now, sometimes folks who don't know the Lord and haven't been in the scriptures will, will toss something into your face, you know, like, how can you believe in a God who sends people to hell? Well, I understand the perspective, but the question really kind of misses the mark, doesn't it? Does God send people to hell? Or do we judge ourselves unworthy of eternal life when we reject Jesus? Paul tells the people here in the synagogue who are rejecting his message, they have judged themselves. They have sent themselves to hell. What has God done here? God has sent them the great news of Jesus and what he's done for them to save them. And they say, yeah, no thanks. Refuse and reject him. So Paul says, you've judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. He says, since that's your position, behold. So now they have another choice to make, Paul and Barnabas. Behold, we're going to turn to the Gentiles. They're packing this place. They want to hear about the Messiah. You don't want to? We're going to give them the good news then. He says, for, the, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, it's, it's not just our own personal flip of the coin decision. He says, God commanded us to do this saying, I have made, and he's quoting from the Old Testament again. <laughs> he just keeps um, sticking it to him. God says, through a prophet, I've made you, let's see, this one's in Isaiah, I think. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So he says, I'm not just obeying Jesus, the guy you're rejecting as Messiah. I'm obeying the prophetic word from God in the Old Testament too. Verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, that Paul was going to uh, turn his back on these Jews who had rejected Jesus, and he was going to give time to them, message to them, train them up in the salvation, 
When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Isn't that an amazing and wonderful statement? As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Was this a God-ordained visit from Paul and Barnabas? Was this a God-ordained message? Yeah, God ordained the whole thing in such a fashion. He's sovereign. He's all over everything. Um, God had already decided, in a sense, ahead of time, all those who receive my son this day, they're mine. I'm giving them eternal life. He had appointed them to eternal life and believed, those who believed. That's, that's powerful and wonderful. Verse 49, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So I just want to pause here for a moment. Where are you at with the word of God? Where are you at with Jesus himself? My prayer is that you're, you're stirred and you're hungry and you're thirsty and you're saying, the more I hear about Jesus, the more I want to hear. He is the Savior. He is alive. These things are true. And, and I, can't, I can't do enough good things to earn my way into heaven. God is holy and I am not. So I pray that you're, the more you hear about Jesus, the more you're drawn to him and the more you're saying in your own heart and mind, yes, save me, be mine forever. And I want to get to know you. I want to follow you every day for the, the rest of my existence into eternity. I pray that's where you're at. Because if you're turned off and you're turning off this sermon and you're not going to come back and, and uh, you're offended, then I'm concerned for you. Because if you judge uh, Jesus in this message not to be for you, then you've judged yourself not worthy of eternal life. Now, it's not a one-time decision, but if we harden our hearts like that now, it's a challenge to come back. God will keep on pursuing you. He will keep on loving you. But I urge you this morning, soften your heart to the Lord. Receive this good news and hunger for more. And he will not disappoint. Hallelujah. So the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. So the wives and the husbands, the leadership on both sides, interesting, right? Stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So what do Paul and Barnabas do with this situation? Here, they need discernment, wisdom from God. Should we stay around? Should we risk arrest and worse? And sometimes that happens. Sometimes God said, yep, do that. I want you to save people in the jail for a while, and then I'll spring you. I'll get you out. <laughs> so you've got to have wisdom and discernment in each situation. In this situation, verse 51, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Iconium's about 80 miles away, so a, a large city. What's the shake off the dust thing? We hear that in the Gospels two or three times. So that's, that's a, a visual way of saying your junk, your rejection of God's word, your rejection of Jesus, we don't even want that to cling to us. So, you know, we're leaving, we're leaving all that of your rejection. We're leaving that with you. We're not even taking the dust of your town with us. It's a powerful uh, visual gesture. So they shook off the dust of their feet and went on to Iconium. Now, 
This surprised me. We'll see if it surprises you. Verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Which disciples are we talking about? I just assumed it was Paul and Barnabas. And so I went with that for a while. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. They've just had, they've been treated terribly by, by just some of the leadership in that town. A whole bunch of people got saved and were, were hungry for the word of God. So that was wonderful. But they just got basically um, pushed out of town on a rail by these leaders. But are they, are they bitter? Are they angry? Are they depressed and disappointed? No, they're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And I was going, praise God, that's wonderful. And I'm sure that that's true. But I had to do some more research, and then I discovered that in the original language in the Greek, the disciples, the word disciples is referring back to the people in the city who just got saved through Paul and Barnabas' teaching. Those disciples, the people left behind in Antioch, were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Well, that too is surprising. The men, Paul and Barnabas, who just brought this amazing, saving, life-changing word to them, they've just been pushed out of town. They've only been there for a week. or We don't know how long they were even there. How long did this process take before they get kicked out of town? We don't know for sure. So the, the bringers of the good news have been kicked out of town. But you know what? They had enough. And they had the Old Testament scriptures available to them. Paul had pointed out many of the connecting points. They'd find many more. So as pa even though Paul and Barnabas are, are going down the road, kicked out of town, the disciples left behind, brand new disciples, brand new believers, they are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit saying, a brand new relationship with our Savior has begun. A brand new relationship with God, who is the God of Israel, but who is welcoming Gentiles from all over the world into his family too, because it's all about Jesus. The only way to be saved is Jesus, and it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not. Believe in Jesus. He paid for your sins on the cross. That's what matters. He rose from the grave. His body did not see decay. That's what matters. He's at the right hand of God, the Father's hand right now. That's what matters. He's coming back one day soon. He's coming back for all his believing children, Jewish believers and Gentile believers. He's coming back. That's what matters. So in these COVID times, we get all kinds of uh, moments and needs for wisdom and discernment. Sometimes God told Paul and Barnabas and others to stand and, and, and fight and declare the gospel until they throw you in jail. Sometimes God said, let it go, shake off the dust, go to the next town. We need discernment and wisdom. So we're going to keep on listening to God, crying out to him for it in our prayers. We're going to keep on spending time in the scriptures so he can speak to us there. We're going to be okay. He's going to guide us. He's going to lead us. This morning, the takeaway is they had joy and were filled with the Holy Spirit. The disciples who were kicked out of town and the disciples who remained behind. How about you and I today? Do you have joy this morning? Filled with the Holy Spirit? I needed this. I needed God to remind me that even in my rough days, when I'm having a rough day, if I will turn my attention to the Lord and call on his name, 
I can know my joy, the joy of my salvation, the joy of my Savior's presence. I can have that joy and be filled with the Holy Spirit all the time, anytime, regardless of the circumstances.